they thought the nightmare was dead and buried. They were wrong. Jason lives. Happy Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, part six. Jason lives. Starts August 1st to the famous players and other theaters near you. Check local listings. David, David, get those. You get that corner, the cobwebs. That's all over your chair. Can just wipe it down. Give it a. Uh, okay, yeah. No, right. I, 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 Brent, are you good? You got? Did you clear yours? There's a lot of dust it's in here. Dusty is all get out, but I think we'll get it. I got, I got the, the Roomba going and uh, cleaning out the cobwebs in the in the corners. You mean the Reconsina Roomba? That's the one, That's and it. the mothballs tossing those are. There's a little bit of a smell, but we're gonna be, we're gonna find it. We're gonna get through it. It's good to be back, you know. It, it's it good is. to be back. It, it is much like Jason Voorhees. You can't keep a good man down, and Reconsinimation lives. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Reconsinimation. I am John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we're checking out how they hold up here today in present day, 2022. And uh, we couldn't be coming back from our, our hiatus at, at a more convenient time because we are celebrating possibly our favorite holiday, Friday the 13th. Who is yes. excited? Oh, boy. <laughs> My boy's Jason's back in town too, huh? All right. And he's actually live in the studio with us right now. So uh, the recording That's studio. That's the smell. So, That's yeah. the smell. That, that <laughs> is. Found he's, it. He's trying to take a step back, just wants to hear what, what we're going to say. But um, yeah, just recapping, we've been on a hiatus since our last uh, fresh episode, which was The Thing, uh, back in the beginning of March. So we took a little break. And we're going to come back with new episodes as, as often as we can do them. It might be one a month, maybe two at most, but we're just going to kind of steadily get back into it. So uh, welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, and here we go. Friday the 13th. Where, uh, when did we cover part five? Was that that was over last summer, right? Yeah, yeah would have been. So. Yeah, that's right. So we're, we've been over the life of this show. The four years this show has been going, we've covered in in order all the Friday the Thirteenths one through five, and we've been following and tracking the the story behind the scenes of the the making of these movies and how influential they actually were for for Paramount Studios at the time and and kind of their you know the shelf life that they've had and uh, it's been it's been fun. We we took a look at parts one, two, three, four. We had a very special interview with uh, one of the stars of part four, the final chapter, with Kimberly Beck. All of those you can find in our archives at www.reconsinimation.com. And last summer we took at took a look at part five, a new beginning. But here we go with the continuation mm -hmm. of the Tommy Jarvis trilogy, part six. Jason lives. Yes, he does. He's back. 
He's the man behind the mask, like Alice Cooper says. That's right. Alice Cooper with several of his songs in this in this movie. Yeah, there's definitely and we'll we'll talk about the production value of this one and, and how it differed from from some of the previous ones. And Alice Cooper's involvement definitely gave a, a bit of a higher edge to it. But overall, what do we think about this movie? David, did you enjoy it? We know we've been up and down on some of these Friday films. What do you think? Uh, no, this one this one was a slog to me. Boring. Boo. Uh, Boo. Oh no. Uninspired kills characters i don't care about and you know the lack of actual hard r you know visuals i think uh really work against it uh so yeah not 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 fun although not the worst uh, friday the 13th experience i've had so <laughs> of, of of the the all the ones that you've seen so far that we've covered here what is your favorite and what's your least favorite what are you looking for in a friday film uh um, I, you know, I'm generally not looking, um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, the one where he's not actually in the movie, Jason's not in the movie five, that's, yeah. Yeah, five. So yeah, the last one, that's, 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 that's not good. That's not good. So that's so, so one through six, five is my least favorite. Um, you know, saying two is my favorite is kind of like, it's kind of cheap. I know you guys don't enjoy two. No, a lot, a lot of people Two's love good. two. Yeah, but uh, but even then three, though. So, I mean, three, I mean, kind of like three a lot because it kind of changed the changes it up a little. So I don't know between two and three, probably, I think. OK. All right. Are my Brensky, that's fair. Brensky, what about you? Well, uh, what's the question? What's how, the question? How, which did, one do, I, which one do one? I like most or do I enjoy this one? Well, two questions. All did you them. enjoy this one? And what's your what's your favorite and least favorite? Uh, okay, so did I enjoy this one? You know, funny enough, watching it this time around, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't know, like in the in in the pantheon of all all of the the movies, if I compare them to each other, this is definitely not at the top of the list. But I had a really good time the other night watching this because I hadn't seen it in so long, and it reminded me so much of like several kind of. 80s movies altogether. It felt very influenced by some of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, just with some of the pop culture kind of stuff going on. It's it's very kind of more meta in a lot of ways than than the other movies have been up to this point. Uh, there's scenes in it like the the paintball scene that remind me, for whatever reason, of like Police Academy. And so I'm just watching and thinking, man, this one seems so heavily influenced by all the different other things that were happening around that time that it really kind of took me back. And I found myself enjoying it a bunch, even though it is, it is the kills, like you said, David, are, I, I don't want to say uninspired, but they're way dialed down because this is, this is the heyday of when the MPAA is like really up their ass about, about the, the gore and the sex and the violence. And in watching it, I was like thinking to myself, you know, of all the movies so far, this is pro probably the one that is most translatable to an audience, like in today's standards, because in a lot of ways, like when they started to tone things down, there was a big span of, of, of movies that came out that kind of toned down the gore and toned down the stuff. It's not as there's, Obviously, the sexual stuff is really toned down, which I don't think translates very well to 
to audiences today. And we see that now, even, even in the movies that they release for that are horror movies, like that element is, is for the most part removed quite a bit. Um, minus things like this, this movie that just came out called X, which if you haven't seen, check it out. But um, yeah, I don't know. I found it. I, I thought it was a blast. Uh, as far as where it is in the ones that we've seen so far, um, you know, four is my favorite. I like just without a doubt, one, uh, three, two, six, and five, you know, like, I just think that that's probably the order. So it doesn't stack up against, uh, the others, but I like the others so much for so many different reasons. Like, I feel like they're just in general, as entries into this franchise more important than this one, but this one really was pretty entertaining this time around for me. All right. Yeah. I, uh, I hear you there. I really enjoy this one. I, (laughs) I, I have a lot of fun with the Tommy Jarvis trilogy, all of them. Uh, and this one, We'll talk about the video game later, but watching it this time, I really noticed how much they pull from this particular movie in that video game. The darts that he throws, like some of the shots were composed exactly like this one was. And I love the meta nature of the of this film. The, you know, we'll compare it to Scream a little later because uh, they're sort of almost tied together but a little uh, connected yeah they are yeah there is a connection but uh yeah i really i really enjoy it for me this is this is actually pretty up there on, on wow. my list i i go i go i really wow. bounce back my number one and two are always one and four depending on my mood which which one i like more at the time probably today i'll say i like the final chapter as my number one the, the original film my number two Part six, Jason Lives is my number three. Then I'll go two, three, five. So four, one, six, two, three, five. That's up to this point. That's my list. But it's, you know, this movie's coming at an interesting time in in right in the middle of the 80s, you know, right when the horror genre has really exploded and it's been oversaturated and there's just one one slasher after another and most of them very unoriginal and just completely you know uh taking what worked with halloween and the original friday the 13th and just really watering them down and you know a lot of gore a lot of kills not a lot of story not a lot of characters or great acting or shot composition so uh but this one i think in my opinion, is a, a still much better, is at a, a bit of a higher standard than a lot of the other horror movies. But I'm just going to walk down memory lane, 1986. Listen to this list of some other horror films that came out that year. We've got April Fool's Day. We've got Chopping Mall, Critters, The Fly, which is that's a that's high quality film. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, The Hitcher, House, Invaders from Mars killer workout highly recommend that one and uh you can check out uh our friend ek wimmer and his podcast laser graves they cover he's covered both chopping mall and killer workout uh maximum overdrive night of the creeps which we've covered and you can hear in the archives at www.reconsidimation.com poltergeist 2 sorority house massacre texas chainsaw massacre 2 which i would love to cover at some point yeah trick or treat troll and 
the amazing film known as Witchboard. So that's just... Dude, That's I've just... seen every single one of those. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've seen every single one of those, probably more than once. Uh, and some of them maybe chopping to be seen. chopping mall, maybe only once. Yeah, well, that and that that's worthy of a second view right there. It for, is uh, for for different reasons, you know. Those uh, those I think they've all some of those have aged differently, but. Um, as far as Jason Lives goes, what uh, what was what was the first time you saw it, uh, Brent? Why don't you go first? You recall? You know, I knew this question was coming, and I have an impossible time trying to trying to recollect the first time I saw it. You know, as we've discussed so many times on the podcast, and especially on the Friday the Thirteenth episodes, I, I've seen all these movies so many times that for the life of me, I can't, I can't pinpoint when the first time I saw this one was. Um, but I want to say it was definitely later. Um, whereas like, I think even as a younger kid, like I always loved horror movies. And like I just said, I, I, that list, you just rambled off. Like I had seen all of those. And I think in context, this may have gotten lost in all those movies mm -hmm. because the cover art for some of those were fascinating to me when I'd walk through the, the video stores. And so those at that time, the visual nature of the, of the boxes were always kind of like what was grabbing me. And, and this one, if I remember correctly, was again, kind of just very similar to the earlier ones, you know, where I think it's the silhouette of, of his mask or, or with the gravestone, you mm -hmm. know? And so um, it just didn't pop that much. Whereas like some of the other ones, I was like, yeah, like house with the hand touching the doorbell or chopping mall with a bag of whatever's in that bag. Right. <laughs> and so it's, it's those captured my attention more. Um, so I don't think I saw this when it first like hit HBO or anything like that. It certainly wouldn't have been at the theater, uh, but it would have been when it was on home video sometime post 86, uh, but it wouldn't have been too long. So it was probably, you know, honestly, 87 at the latest, but, yeah. but, you know, not, not, a or maybe 88. Um, but, but I don't recall exactly. I can't. I don't recall it being one of the one of the Travis movies, my next door neighbors movies, you know, so so I don't think that's where I saw this one for the first time. Got it. Uh, David, how about you? I don't know. I, I think I can guess. Wait, did, you didn't make me watch this, though, right? Oh, I, I sure did. Yeah, you did make me watch this. I did. Yeah, of course I did. That's, it, that's why it seemed familiar. <laughs> I, I, I tied you down to a chair and pried your eyes open clockwork orange style and made you watch it. We did the Tommy Jarvis trilogy, didn't we? Like, yeah, I had left by the time this one. Oh, did no, you? No, you did not. I did I stay for so. this one? I think you. I think you stayed for this one. You left when uh, after we got the, after part seven. One. Yeah, yeah. That's part five, right. you leaned over and were like, "What the fuck are we? Doing? <laughs> Why are we doing this?" I was <laughs> and really then you stuck there. around for another like ninety oh, minutes and okay. watched this one. So I did see this. Yeah, a lot of this seemed familiar. So yeah, it's when uh, when we did the Tommy Jarvis trilogy in your backyard. Yeah. And, 2019 2018 2018 2018 i think yeah yeah 2018 um so yeah it was really it was widely forgettable because i'm watching this i'm like 
that seems familiar. When did I see this? And I couldn't, I really couldn't place it. Like, and then, but there was, well, by the time we got to this, sorry to interrupt. By the time we got to this one, it was so late anyway. It was probably all a, all a kind of like a, a, a fever dream. Yeah, exactly. So it was like, there's whole chunks of it that didn't seem familiar, but then some of the kills I'm like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But I could have, so yeah, that would have been, yeah, that's the first time I saw it. You can tell it had an impact. <clears throat> um, and then I went, you know, of course, uh, gave it gave it a full full view to, you know, within the last week. So good times. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't feel like I missed out. I don't think I missed out. Uh, I remember. So, Brent, similar memory to yours. Uh, the first time I remember this just coming onto my radar was probably you know seven years old strolling the aisles of movies one my local video store and uh, as we've talked about on this show I've, I've always been attracted or as a kid I was definitely attracted like you were Brent to the box art for the for the uh, video covers and the right. posters and and the Friday the 13th movies specifically all attracted me at the time and it would have been I think at the time it would have been one through six that were in were out maybe seven but mm -hmm. uh they, they all you know with with the final chapter was the mask with like the knife through the eye and they all just had a very specific imagery and this one was not as strong as the others but yeah like you said just the 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 silhouette of his mask with light shining through it over the tombstone uh but still i i remember turning it over and on the back seeing it's a it's a frame from the final fight with tommy and, and uh, jason with the boat on fire and it's like wow how is a boat like how are they not sinking like i was just trying to wrap my head around that scene was just so curious about it as a seven-year-old but i didn't actually see the movie until the lovely year of 1999 when yeah when uh brent hosted an amazing uh weekend-long party and we decided to in in one area of the party just have a Friday the Thirteenth marathon and and that's really where I saw most of these movies for the first time after wanting to see them for forever. But uh, we made it through, and I think we made it through seven in that that party. And then the next day we finished right. it up with eight and nine. But um, yeah, so and I I really enjoyed the, and I still enjoy the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. It's got its ups and downs, and we're going to get into the plot and the story and the changing of the Tommy Jarvis character and, and the, you know, the in and out of, of Jason himself in the series. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. And, and it's really, it's really fun to watch these movies with a group of friends. It was awesome when we did it back in college. I had a great time hosting and having you guys over and some other, some other friends as well. Curtis was there, our good friend, Curtis Moore. Uh, and just, you know, you get in a group and you make fun of, you know, you have a good time with the movies. You don't take these movies seriously. It's right. It's uh, it, it's just a good time. But um, yeah, so uh, so fond memories for me. But um, let's talk about the movie itself. So and the state of of the series. So 1980, 85 comes and goes. A new beginning is released and there's quite a bit of fallout from that movie. There are the, the hardcore fans are the majority of them felt betrayed by, by the plot of new beginning and the fact that it's, you know, spoiler alert, 
it's not Jason who's the killer in, in that film. In this story where we leave off, Jason has been killed at the end of the final chapter. Corey Feldman, who played Tommy in that film, uh, did with an amazing special effect by Tom Savini, chopped him in the head, sliced his head basically off uh, amongst other wounds and injuries. And Jason is is gone. He's dead. We think he's back in the fifth movie, but it's an imposter, somebody posing as Jason. And that just rubbed, seemed to rub almost everybody the wrong way. Whether you, you know, you can enjoy certain things about part five uh, is fine, but a lot of people felt really turned off by it. And it's going to affect the franchise the entire rest of the way. It never really recovered from that move. Yeah. Uh, and then what? In 85, Ghoulies also came out and did Bafo box office compared to Friday the part five right and i think i think ghoulies was huge cheap gremlins uh horror comedy right yeah ghoulies and and ghoulies too i remember i think did pretty well too i remember those those uh posters as well oh yeah so you can't sleep on the ghoulies no man no you got little gremlins popping out of toilets come on (laughs) it's terrifying Never a number two was done again the same way. It did the same thing for number two that Jaws did with swimming in the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. People just stopped going number two for a yeah, while. Terrible. Didn't it's happen. Hovering. Um, so the decision is made that it's time to officially bring Jason Voorhees back. What, what else? Are you, where are you going to take this franchise uh, without him? They, the movies are still doing well, regardless of five being a critical failure. Uh, financially, they're still making money. I mean, that's the thing to remember about all these Friday films is they cost so little that it's guaranteed profit for Paramount, regardless of the quality of the movie. And they needed it through, excuse me, that they, you know, there were movies that were big hits, but they had a lot of bombs through the, you know, 70s and 80s. And they needed movies like this to really help keep things level financially that uh and it's like they're easy to make they're quick and you know there's an audience for them so what they didn't know was how that audience was going to start dwindling away really rapidly and especially over the course of the next few films mostly based on the creative choices they made with where they're going to take the story but so the decision is, <clears throat> excuse me, is made to bring Jason Voorhees back. They've also got to keep up with Freddy Krueger, who at this point is extremely popular as MTV is on the rise. Freddy Krueger's all over it. He's all over that that audience and the young uh, teenagers. Really, he's a very popular character. So you got to get Jason back. You got to get this whole series back on track. So that's the mandate that Frank Mancuso Jr who had become sort of the caretaker of the series at this point. Uh, His father was, Frank Mancuso Sr. was very high up at Paramount, and uh, Frank Jr. came on, I believe, in the second movie as like sort of a associate producer, but ends up really driving the franchise all the way through Jason Takes Manhattan, uh, part eight. So, uh, yeah, so that's the first step, is how are we going to bring Jason back? And frankly... I think the way they did it was a genius move and probably the the scene that makes me love this movie as much as I do. 
The little the, nod, the, nod to Frankenstein. Exactly. Yeah. The Frankenstein yeah. Uh, return to life. I think that scene is genius. What about you guys? Yeah, that really works. I like that. Like it, it hooks you right in. I mean, like this is... what are you going to do? You know, that <laughs> makes any, nothing, nothing's going to make sense. So yeah, like, it's completely have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfectly nonsensical in a way that works without, without question for the movie. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, and it, and it pays homage to, to, to earlier monster horror, you know, pictures. And I, yeah, I think it's great. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's cool on a couple of levels. And so Tommy Jarvis is, is, you know, we, we meet up with him after there's really not so much continuity going on with the uh, Tommy character as, you know, he goes from part four, he's Corey Feldman. Corey is not able to come back for part five other than a quick cameo. So they decide to age him five years. So we're now, we're now in the future at this point. Like, mm -hmm. I think this is like 1991 or something. Uh, at this in storyline wise, but uh, Tommy's in the you know the camp for kind of I don't know what would you what would you call the 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 camp in part five where they because it's not Crystal Lake that they're at sort of a um, it's Forest Green or something. Well, it's yeah. Forest Green in this one. Well, it's right? Forest Green in this one, but they're completely oh, oh, oh. somewhere else in part five. That's with, right. Um, you know, people, kids who, teenagers who have various problems. So yeah, that's right. That's right. Tommy's uh, definitely got some PTSD and is dealing with his own demons about Jason. And, and it seems like they're driving it towards Tommy is going to become Jason. They eventually pull back from that storyline. And now we come to this one and Tommy is just, you know, sort of back to normal. Just I'm still obsessed with Jason though. And, right. He's got to make sure he's really dead after what he went through in part five. So I think they missed a little bit of an opportunity there because they definitely play it up with the sheriff and everything. Like the sheriff thinks that it's Tommy that's going around killing. And I think they could have could have played into that a little bit if they wanted to, you know, if if that was sort of a thing. But I I think they were trying to get as far away from five as possible because Absolutely. five was like you said, kind of offensive to the fans. Yeah. So. All you need to know is Jason's dead, right? <laughs> Seeing his corpse ain't gonna stop the hallucinations. Seeing it won't, but destroying it will. Jason belongs in hell. I'm gonna see he gets there. So him coming to the cemetery is, <laughs> and pops the, you know, pops the grave open, digs him up, pops it, pops it open, the coffin, and we see Jason's rotted. He's 100% dead. But of course, it's raining, thunder, lightning, and he's got to make sure. So he stabs him with a, uh, like a pole. And of course, like a yeah, wrought like a iron rod. fence pole of yeah. some sort. He just grabs it off of the fence. Uh, lightning strikes. Of course, it hits the pole, revives Jason, brings him back to life as, you know, as it does. Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. If light, if lightning strikes a deceased uh, being, that that being will come back to life. We all know. Hundred percent. The science 100%. tells us every yes. day. Science guys. <laughs> uh, and then Jason's back, and of course Tommy, as like an insult or to you know or whatever, throws the mask in the grave. So Jason's got his mask back, and yeah. uh, and he's and he's back, and Tommy immediately splits, and he's out of there, and and it's a chase. So. Yeah. 
and that's the, that's how the movie kicks off. And I think it's just, it starts off on a great note. It's got a good, you know, a really good kill finds a creative, clever way to bring Jason back. And, you know, now we know we're, we're continuing with Tommy and we're going to see where that goes. And we know, of course, it's going to end up back at Crystal Lake. Uh, Let's talk about Tom McLaughlin, the director. I think this was, you know, it, it may not have worked out, but I think this was a really solid choice. Um, he was a, he had quite a, a career up to this point. He was a former rocker. He was a musician. He was a, or, sorry, a magician, a mime. And then finally got into directing and he directed a, a horror movie called One Dark Night, which I have not seen. Brent, have you seen that? I have not. Um, I hear good, I hear good things about it. I always have, I just, it's, it's on my list, but, um, that movie, basically, if you could show, if you could show that you can direct a decent horror movie, you're on the list for getting a Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> uh, they had had such problems with, uh, Joe Zito who directed part four and, uh, Danny Steinman who directed part five, that it was tumultuous sets a lot of infighting with the cast and the director and uh, people just not getting along that Tom McLaughlin is like a, the complete other direction. Everybody got along great with him. Super creative, really worked hard to try to find some clever things to do in this movie. So I don't know. I think kudos to him for giving it a shot, it, you know, whether it's the MPAA or Paramount or, you know, w whatever the, the whatever it may be. You know, not all that made it into the film, but the effort was there, and I respect him for it. Yeah, it was a valiant effort for sure. Like, I mean, you know, we were talking about it earlier. Just the MP, the MPAA was really putting the screws to to this franchise at this time, and and I think, uh, kind of for all the obstacles they were up against, they made a really fun movie that still even though the kills might not be super creative, like there's still some memorable things going on and, and other kind of little Easter eggs that are, that are part of them that, that kind of root them in the pop culture of the time, which I think was pretty clever. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, he's, he brings a sense of comedy <laughs> to a more lighthearted tone to this one as well as, like we mentioned, that self-reflexiveness and kind of looking back at itself and what these movies are and the audience that's choosing to go see these movies. Uh, and I think those are some of the better pieces of, of the film. David, yeah. I'm going to ask you, you're more of the comedy guy of, of our group here, of our, our triumvirate. Mm -hmm. Hilarious. Did, uh, <laughs> did any of that like ring true to you as well yeah yeah i, I think i think i i like that the the level of whimsy that was sort of apl applied in broad strokes because like part five like they were trying to mine comedy out of like really silly things that don't fit and like really hammy characters and and acting choices and it's just like this like let's just be silly and this will like and at least that none of that's in part of this. So it, it has just more jokes sort of baked in um, or at least whimsical things. So, you know, from the pop culture references, like from like the James Bond thing and the, and the very, you know, the, the opening. And then when the, the couple is in the, in the, uh, the RV 
and just that whole that like that's just kind of it's just funny like it just plays funny without trying to be like you know you always have to have couples having sex in these movies and so there's a couple attempts at that and at least they're just like well like let's 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 have fun and it turns into a slapstick comedy like with and they're driving around like it's really funny i like so there i mean like as much as you know there i i and so the that internal like layer of of whimsy i think really works for the for the entire film so i got yeah kudos kudos to that i think that's an accomplishment yeah definitely a change of direction from all of the films really and especially part five part five is aggravating with some of those characters like the neighbor you know the Mm -hmm. crazy neighbor people that are just yelling and screaming and cursing and yeah the hillbillies yeah Yeah, like there's you know nothing no disrespect to the actors' performances. That's what they're oh, sure. directed to do. But uh, those characters, I could have absolutely done without, you know, completely. They're just set up for the kill also. So, like, if the if the paintball uh, characters were in part five, they'd be all really shrill and annoying and, like, uh, like t- so that they would somehow deserve to die. At, le- at least they're just, like, three people who have their own little internal you know annoyances with each other but like they're fine they're perfectly fine characters so when they and their their kill yeah that's up there for me so <laughs> um but yeah like it's just like you could see the moments of of oh this could have gone really extreme and luckily they they toned it all down so yeah mclaughlin did a great job well yeah, yeah and i think part of what you're saying is like just the the characters in five are all very like extreme stereotypes of whatever characters they're they're portraying everybody seemed a little bit more grounded in this one. Like even though there are things going on that are absolutely still not rooted in, in reality or anything, but it just felt more real. And the comedy was played, I think in a much more kind of tasteful and subtle way that that works. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's and, and topical too, but the, the paintball oh, right. thing was huge. I remember my parents playing paintball with with uh, friends of theirs, and it was such a huge fad in, in the mid '80s. Mm-hmm. That, uh, and you know, years later we got into it and had a lot of fun in college playing, and hopefully would love to do that again at some point. But yeah. you know, bringing that that was such pull, a big thing in the pull 80s. a hammy, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> bring it into uh into the film i think was a smart move and and those characters it's just they're business executives who are on like a retreat you know that that a lot of corporations do for their with their employees that sort of a bonding uh you know weekend and they just pick the wrong uh you know forest to uh to go to with for, forest green slash crystal lake that's right uh, but creative kills, you know, uh, Tom McLaughlin, one of his goals was to not duplicate some of the, you know, the the kills that have been done previously and come up with something new and different and creative. And so between everything, this is where Jason starts to get, um, <laughs> you, you don't know what to expect of how Jason's going to exactly kill somebody. It's sure, of course, he skewers and stabs some people, but there's a lot more creativity going on with the deaths in this. And I think going forward, really. Yeah. He was not as reliant on the machete. Yeah. And in this one, I mean, he, uh, yeah, 
a lot of different things going on. Yeah. Well, and he's also much stronger in this one. Well, yeah, I think it's so like, it's interesting because I feel because he's zombified. Well, right. I mean, if you're looking at like the, the series as a whole, you know, like the first four movies seem very much like they're tied together and a franchise like that works. And then, and then you have four five and six that are tied together by Tommy Jarvis, but then you have six and the rest that are tied together by just Jason being this kind of supernatural kind of unstoppable, you know, evil force that, you know, that is similar to other horror movies in, in, in a lot of ways, but, but that's kind of the, the bridge, right? So it's, you know, that chunk after there, it's just like how ridiculous and how crazy can we get with the different kinds of kills and the different, like how unstoppable and powerful is this being, you know? So yeah, this one I think really starts that. And a lot of the kills are pretty interesting. I mean, he's folding people in half. He's, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, it's shoving them through like, you know, doors and, or walls and. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, So it's, it's uh, definitely, you're seeing that element really come to the forefront in, in these. And, and again, done in ways where it's not a whole lot of like blood and gore and things like that, but still seem extremely powerful. Yeah. You know, so, so McLaughlin is, is trying to do different things with the movie. And, and part of it is, you know, looking back at the audience and looking back, you know, kind of acknowledging, you know, what the, what this franchise is and the kind of people that, that go to see it. Uh, so he wants to bring this a little bit, you know, like we said, lighthearted nature to it uh, and self-reflexiveness. But Mancuso kind of dictates to McLaughlin that whatever you do, you just can't make fun of Jason. You can you want like you want to make it light. That's fine. But, you know, and he gave him some leeway to do that. But you just Jason has to be taken seriously, which he does he does uh, stay true to that, that of all the comedic things that go on, it's not Jason that is the centerpiece of that. So he's just going to end, he'll end the comedy. (laughs) But um, yeah, so uh, we've got, you know, we've got an entirely new cast. We've got uh, a new, a new actor, uh, Tom Matthews playing Tommy Jarvis and Tom Matthews, who we covered here back in year one with our Return of the Living Dead episode. Uh, so Tom, who didn't really like horror movies, but made a career out of uh, being in them, replaced John Shepard, who played Tommy Jarvis in part five. Uh, John Shepard got into uh, really found religion and stepped away from acting and had just kind of a moral quandary of how could he kind of he was like teaching you know children uh and at the same time like how could he keep acting in these movies and you know be honest with himself so he walks away from the whole business really right well and jim cotta didn't take off the way that they thought it would so you know (laughs) it was probably they didn't need the the quite the roundhouse power fighter uh from part five mm-hmm. and and you know i think they decided to bring someone in with probably a little bit stronger acting chops uh to carry the role for the dramatic scenes uh that that were happening in this one but um you know, 
<laughs> J- Jason meets Jim Cotta. That was <laughs> yeah. That was that was the pitch uh, for part five. And then psych, it's not even Jason. Um, yeah, I don't. I from watching this. To be honest, I didn't even realize that the guys weren't the same dudes until <laughs> until we watched. Until I was watching it for this time around, like I'm sure I knew it, but I was always like, "Oh, that's not even the same. That's not even the same." Yeah. Tommy, what? <laughs> that's sneaky. Yeah, it's true. It's a new Tommy, and uh, and you know, there were there was going to originally be a more of a direct tie-in with part five. That the original opening was going to see Reggie and Pam, who were the other survivors from uh, a new beginning, were to be killed off in the opening sequence. Uh, but you know, once they recast to- uh, Tommy. Kind of just took it in a different direction. They didn't. They didn't end up. Uh, they didn't even end up shooting that. So you know. The well, opening... didn't the, didn't the actors also turn it down because they were like, I don't. They were like, we don't want to get killed right at the beginning. I, uh, I yeah, thought Reggie, I read that somewhere. Reggie as well. turned it down. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, his. I mean, he was still a kid at the time, and I don't remember if he was still on a diff- different strokes at this point. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, his. I believe his uncle was sort of his like his manager and said, "No, you're not going to kill him." Right away in the first scene, I think Pam was uh, uh, the character. The actress who plays Pam was was ready to come back, but it didn't, you know once mm. once you have a different Tommy, you're not going to get Reggie. Then what's the point, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we never even got a conclusion to our good friend Kimberly Beck's character, uh, who is Tommy's sister from Part Four. Uh, you know, we, we did find out in our interview with her some reasons why she didn't return, but creatively, like they never even mentioned the character again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, you know, the goal is to get Tommy and Jason back to Crystal Lake, which is now known as Forest Green, because they're trying to shake the stigma of everything that came with Crystal Lake and Jason Voorhees. So, but really like the actors in this movie, they're not bad. And a lot of them have gone on to do other things. And, and, you know, at least one of them has gone on to be, you know, pretty, Pretty famous actor. So you've got Ron Palillo, who was on, who's in the opening scene and was uh, on Welcome Back, Cotter, which of course, like, it's so hard to separate him from Welcome Back, Cotter. So, yeah. Uh, Jennifer Cook is uh, sort of the female lead in the film. Uh, David Kagan, who plays the sheriff. Vincent Gust- uh, Gustafar- Gustafaro, who plays the kind of hot-headed uh, deputy who has mm. the yabang line is like yabang. my favorite <laughs> Now see what you've done. You made my deputy draw his revolver. He's been dying to try out his mail order laser scope. Wherever the red dot goes, yabang. <laughs> Where the red dot goes, yabang. 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 David, he must have gotten that from you. That's a, that's a famous Munchakian line. <laughs> that's how I talk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Tom McLaughlin's wife Nancy is in the film and uh, great coach, you know, uh, who plays one of the 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 lead camp counselor with along with Tony Goldwyn, who's you know yeah. a, a, a gone on to do so many good things and a really excellent actor. Right. Uh, they're only in basically one scene where they get killed before they even get to the camp, uh, which is a fun one. But uh, Roger Rose, who who we would later see in uh, Ski Ski Patrol. Or ski school, ski patrol, ski I think. patrol. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, that's excellent movie. We'll, we'll have to look at one day. Yeah. Uh, 
Carrie Noonan and Tom Fridley, who is who plays uh, Court, who is also John Travolta's nephew. Yep. A little trivia yeah. there. But um, so, you know, acting wise, like it doesn't to me, it doesn't feel like. Yeah, this is not Academy Award winning uh, dialogue here, but like they're doing a good job with what they have to work with. Yeah. I mean, I think the acting is noticeably better than yeah. than the previous, you know, release for sure. Yeah. I mean, like these are actual, you know, solid working actors who are cast right. in this movie. They're not just like, this is their first time. This is, we're not going to work with them. You know, Tom seemed to have a good relationship with the actors. And, and I think with that, you're going to get a better performance out of them. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they, I feel like they got time to rehearse a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we have a new yet again. We have a new Jason. We've had a new Jason in every single movie to this point. Uh, they did offer it to Ted White, who played uh, Jason, and is one of my favorites. My one of probably my number two favorite Jason. He was in the final chapter, but uh, he turned it down. I think he had such kind of a negative experience on on the final chapter that he did not want to participate. Uh, they cast Dan Bradley, who was a stuntman uh, as Jason, but uh, Dan had gained some weight and did not have the right kind of body movement. And the, he only filmed a, a piece of the movie, which is all the paintball and daytime sequences. Uh, but as soon as the dailies came back, Mancuso was on the phone with, with Tom McLaughlin and was like, you gotta, you need a new Jason like right now. Um, and i shoot him. So they had to kind of rearrange the schedule and start filming non-Jason sequences while they recast. And uh, and they ended up get, getting C.J. Graham, who was a former military, uh, you know, grunt and uh, who's working at a restaurant nearby. And uh, the Martin Becker, who was the special effects coordinator, saw him on a like a magician stage show where cj was playing jason like jason shows up in the bit on stage and he was like that's the guy like that guy looks great he should be our jason so they made a deal and and uh part way through filming cj graham is the new jason and what do you guys think is he uh where does he he fit in for you as far as his performance as jason it's pretty intimidating i think right i think uh yeah i think i think he does a, a fine job seems like a a bit of a powerhouse carries that supernatural feeling with them a little bit that that's just me i mean i don't know i don't i'm not paying too too much of attention but certainly i think an improvement over um some other other jasons yeah, yeah i agree I, th- I think i think he did a pretty good job i think that like you were saying like he's got that kind of imposing kind of look to him um you know it's interesting like there's he's definitely got kind of the the frame and the movements down his his costume is a little different there's some like strange tactical elements to (laughs) to what he's wearing that i'm not sure exactly where those came from but but uh you know that's not him like he's doing he's doing good work there but uh but yeah i uh i think i think for everything that was he definitely had that kind of like overpowering um i don't know a lot of in a lot of the scenes and i think it's because he does so many scenes where he's putting his hands like on someone's face or neck or whatever. Like his hands are really featured in this quite a bit. 
And I found myself just looking at him and he's got really strong, powerful looking hands. And so like in, in those scenes, even like towards the end when he's getting like shot with the shotgun and he's like kind of rolling around and reaching, like his hands just look very like powerful and menacing and scary. And I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be grabbed by that dude. <laughs> yeah. I, I think his body type is right. Um, and his physical performance uh, is he's one of the better Jasons for sure. I don't think I don't. Yeah. His wardrobe kind of bumped me a little bit that it's, you know, knowing what we see with Jason as he goes on, that just wasn't the right I, yeah. to me, like, Kane Hodder, who we will get to in our next episode in, in the series, and Ted White are the the top two yeah. Jasons. I think CJ is probably my number three, though. Yeah. I don't even know where the stuff with his costume came from. Like, I feel I, I didn't notice it until he was at the camp. And really, yeah. it wasn't even a thing except, I mean, the there's the kill where he throws the darts and hits the guy like and that's when it's really featured and i think like i felt like they didn't really show it until right before then and then after then i couldn't stop but i saw it all the time yeah and i was like why is he why does he have this weird utility belt (laughs) you know like what's what's going on i don't know yeah well and and like and he pulled he pulled out like a, a knife from the belt when he, yeah. when he when he killed the the rv guy the, driving the well, rv like so it's like and so you got a shot of it it's like and it just that looked like that could have been any tactical swat team guy pulling his tact and his, his knife i have, so, an, I have it, an answer for this i, I mean did he take it from questions. the paintball people exactly so uh, he basically got all of his weaponry from their survival they're not just playing paintball they're supposed to be like doing like a survivalist weekend so he loads up all his weapons from those four or five uh paintballers (laughs) he did get the machete yeah Yeah. see now that to me seems like it you're it's counterintuitive right like jason is you know not a tactical thinking he's a charge ahead you know one slow methodical step at a time i'm gonna follow you and i'm gonna bludgeon you or kill you with this machete or whatever but like to have the forethought to be like oh look at this kitty of weapons i've just come across i'm now gonna load up like rambo is a little is a little strange to me but you know whatever like i think ultimately like it doesn't really take me out of it like i mean it's a friday the 13th movie that that is kind of bananas in, in a lot of different ways. And so, but I did definitely bump me. And I was like, why is that happening? Cause I don't think that's how it is in any of the other movies. No, no. I kind of, I like the idea though. Cause it sort of added texture to his costume because otherwise you're just talking about like, you know, I don't know, just kind of, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's not, I don't know, plain boring clothes or like a jumpsuit kind right. of thing or whatever. Whereas like this has, this gave it some, some, some texture to it. Uh, but I mean, it doesn't really fit. Like, yeah, he's, re- he's risen from the dead. He killed, you know, it, it makes sense. He would take the machete or take a knife, but he's like, oh, maybe I should put this vest on and clip it. And well, <laughs> I'm like, now I can carry everything. It is a little bit. odd, but I, uh, yeah. Remember, when you get uh, brought back to life by lightning, not only does it re, you know, bring your flesh back, it also Sparks. gives you a, a wardrobe boost. Yeah. Sparks so a your, couple... your tattered clothes will just be rebuilt. 
Yeah. It, it flashes a couple extra synapses. So now you're <laughs> thinking a little bit differently, I, I suppose. <laughs> um, let's, uh, but let's, let's look back at the, the meta-ness of, of this one. So it's interesting that, you know, he has a, the, the, um, the, what is it, the, the caretaker at the, at the cemetery look directly at the at the camera right at the audience and says some folks sure got a strange idea of entertainment why'd i have to go and dig up jason some folks have a strange idea of entertainment absolutely you know, i mean that's a direct communication to the audience yeah They're without like, a doubt who are you people why do you like these movies <laughs> but we're gonna keep making it because you like them yeah I feel like that's not the only one either. I feel like there's another one in the, in the, is it in the jail? Well, Nancy McLaughlin, who plays Lisbeth, uh, when she's in the car with Tony Goldwyn and they, they're, they're, you know, driving down this like, of course, muddy road at night when they encounter Jason. And she, she says something along the lines of like, uh, you know, she's seen horror movies and knows that, you know, weirdos and masks are sure like a bad, you know, <laughs> are, are a bad idea but uh yeah and then of course like he attacks and and kills her but yeah that scene is someone. funny and then the american express card floating and the like yeah. that's a direct that's a direct comment on on the popularity of american express at the time where the commercial and the and the the uh advertising was like never leave home without it right like yeah. your american express is going to keep you safe in no matter what situation <laughs> you're in and they're like not against Jason. This dude's <laughs> not your credit card is not going to save you against this dude. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really like I really like that scene that that she you know we've never seen that before. That of course someone's begging for their life, you know, their last moments, and she's like offers to pay him. Like yeah. nobody of all the, the kills that have happened, nobody's thought to do that. Like, well, would he, would he accept it? No, of course not. But <laughs> would he take would he take cash? Yeah. He's like, oh, gee, thanks, I'm out. Now, if it was uh, tactical gear, if it was MasterCard or Visa or maybe even Discover, then maybe maybe Jason is a Discover fan. In the <laughs> 80s, it would have been like Diners Club or something yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the but the, the they hold track. on, you know, after after Elizabeth uh, is killed and her hand lets go of the wallet and the money and you see the American Express card floating like they intentionally Tom intentionally left that shot lingering so that oh. the, someone in the audience would say, don't leave home without it. Absolutely. Uh, I said it in my head when I was watching. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anybody from that era would. So, uh, yeah. So it's just, you know, part of it is just looking back at the audience, looking back at itself. I think that was a good twist and something fresh and different that makes, to me, makes this movie stand out way above some of the other ones before it. That, like, this is different. This is, uh, you know, and really we wouldn't see that kind of commentary again until Scream. Right. Mm -hmm. Which not in that regard. Yeah. I mean, you'd see some of that in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and things like that. Right. I mean, like he was there was True. always yeah. sort of an awareness of New nightmare. Yeah. In those. But but to your point, you know, I mean, we had never seen anything like that uh, in the Friday the 13th movies. You know, I mean, it's like it was very much intentional. And I think I think almost to compete with some of the meta-ness of and pop culture kind of phenomenon that was Nightmare on Elm Street at the yeah. time, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 
by this point, I, I can't remember if three, if Nightmare on Elm Street three had come out. I think that came out in '87, so it might still just be one and two that are out. But uh, Freddy's still certainly very popular. Um, yeah. So the connection with Scream, though, Tom McLaughlin is actually offered Scream when Kevin Williamson is still shopping that script around in, you know, probably early 95, maybe late 94, that before it gets to Wes Craven, Tom McLaughlin was, was offered that, that uh, script and, and felt like he had kind of done whatever he would have done with Scream here and he did with this movie. So hmm. turned it down. Uh, maybe, you know, who knows if he would have actually done it, what, what would have happened, but yeah. Uh, just, well, and that's the that's the connection to Scream, right? That, yeah. 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 So he was asked to to write it. Is that right? Or to, no, direct. to direct it? Yeah. So so over Wes Craven. But I think before time. I think before it went to Wes Craven, it went to Tom McLaughlin. Got it. Wow. So would have been uh, you know, and and, and uh, that movie is. I mean, the whole thing with with uh, with all of the Scream movies really is kind of calling back to, you know, really acknowledging the the tropes and the traditions and the the way horror movies are and and all of that. And it's like it the same thing ends up happening in Scream, but you sort of like let your guard down and forget it because it's referencing itself. Right. You kind of forget that, yep, we're still same thing still happening here. Like you just feel like it's brand new. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just really, really smart, though. I think a good uh, attempt there. Um, you know, we talked about the Frankenstein opening, and, and that's referencing and sort of paying homage to the universal horror monsters and the, the history of horror. So there's a lot there's a lot going on, whether it's acknowledging previous horror and present day horror and what would eventually become future horror. So this movie's brilliant. <laughs> so, in short. Our conclusion is this movie's brilliant. <laughs> I like it. That sums it up. I yeah. Uh, but there is, you know, there is some, a lot of differences than the previous ones. Uh, and Brent, you mentioned some of these earlier that, uh, and David too, that there's, there's really almost no sex and nudity in this film at all. There's no nudity. All right. And there's essentially one sex scene and then maybe another makeout scene, but but that's it. So it's really, I think Tom McLaughlin was was intentionally taking it away from that like sex equals death theme that had been building and, and would continue to be the tradition. But here, this one, it's like, no, no, no. Like sex doesn't have to equal death. And we don't have to run around and show, uh, you know, the sequence with Court and uh, and Darcy DeMoss, who, who plays, uh, I think Nikki is her name, in the RV, you know, they did, they did ask her to remove her top. She declined. Uh, she had also had a similar situation when she was auditioning for, for part five and had a very negative experience with Danny Steinman, but they backed off. They, they asked, she said no, and they went with it with her sweatshirt on. It's yeah. funny and it's it's funny and it still works. Yeah, this I mean I mean I think it's kind of nice that it's not all over the place, right? Like it's kind of a a pleasant departure, you know, because it I think it does it is it does truly step away from kind of that tradition in these movies and 
is really part of what another significant part of what makes this movie unique. Yeah. Uh, and by this point, you've got, you know, Sorority House Massacre, we mentioned, and Slumber Party Massacre, all those movies. Right. And in those movies, I mean, I haven't seen them in, in a number of years, but I remember like a fair amount of topless uh, women running around, you know, yeah. for a lot of the movie. Right. If you're looking, if that's what you're looking for in these horror movies, like there were plenty of other options at, right. at the time, you know, like just because this one movie was like, Hey, we're going to step away from that this time around it. Like you weren't, you're definitely not going to struggle, you know, throw a dart in any video store at any <laughs> of the other horror movies and you're going to have plenty yeah, uh, to choose from. So, so it gives us something, you know, again, something that sets it apart from the rest. And and the scene in the RV with Court is, I I love that whole sequence. Like the, the fact that, you know, that moment where she wants to have sex, they're, they're having sex, but like she wants to keep going as long as the song's going. And it's like another, what, like 11 minutes or something. <laughs> and the look on his face of like, I can't, I can't go that long. <laughs> it's just a cute little moment. And uh and then we cut to Jason outside watching the RV just bouncing and he just, you know, cocks his head kind of like Michael Myers would. And it's just like him trying to almost trying to understand what's happening in there and that he's, he's just going to ruin that party anyway. But, and then the, the, R the, 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 the RV scene did kind of remind me of uh, the scene in part five though, with, um, demon and his, his oh yeah uh, the outhouse <laughs> the out like i don't know why but for yeah like those that's for whatever reason those two scenes really kind of remind me of of each other between those two movies yeah i this one is i think more clever and yeah that one is just awkward and it's kind weird. of cringe yeah it's like a fart joke yeah. that one yeah but but for what this one this one seems a little bit Maybe maybe a little higher brow. I don't know, but they do seem. It does seem like kind of a a retelling in 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 some way of of that. This one uh, at least feels a little more natural. You know that one. It's like there's the whole thing. He's he, Miguel Nunez's character, Demon, is you know, eating burritos. So now he's got to go take a dump. Oh, hey, you okay? Oh, damn enchiladas. Uh, and it's like they're talking yeah. about his upset stomach. And and then his girlfriend comes over. They're singing to each other through the wall of the outhouse. Ooh, baby. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Mm -hmm. And then she gets killed and he gets skewered in there. But it was just, yeah, just kind of, it's a memorable scene for sure from that one. But uh, yeah, I this just, one feels I, like it just works a little better. Well, and I think that that's just like kind of a good example of, of why six is better than five, right? Like they can be similar scenes, but one is just done so much more tastefully. Yeah than the other right and so it's i think kind of a good comparison yeah and and then the kills you know as as jason comes in the more creative kills that he you know takes nikki 
in the bathroom while court's driving blasting music he can't hear that he's got her in the bathroom shoves her head and you know face into the wall uh we hadn't seen that before and then oh. you know stabbing court like right in the head uh with while the alice cooper soundtrack is playing uh and then the flip of the you know the car stunt again like production value wise i don't think we had seen a, a major stunt like that i mean that's a big that's a mm -hmm. when you're making a film doing a car stunt like that that's a big process and and because you're only going to do it once maybe twice yeah. if you have a backup but well and i know we haven't talked much about budget we haven't talked about about budget yet at all but i i, I think they gave this one a little bit bigger a budget so that they could have more of those kind of action elements right in the movie right yep yeah yeah you've got you know you've got uh, the the rv sequence you've got car chases or back mm -hmm. you know in reverse and uh just again trying to inject some fresh ideas into this and i re really i do respect the attempt to do it i think some of them work better than others but uh and and you know there's also there's also a religious element. Tom McLaughlin is a is a religious person, and and there is, you know, there's multiple scenes of prayer where the little girl is, you know, Jason. Come, you know, this is the also the first time we're seeing children actually at the camp. Mm -hmm. Usually, it's just the counselors getting ready for getting the camp ready, but here we the the campers the kids are there, and as he comes in, uh, and seems like he's gonna potentially start killing the kids like this one particular little girl is like praying for her life and then while she's praying jason hears something is distracted and leaves but you've got that and then when tommy is uh basically drowned at the at the end of the film they pull him out of the water the you know praying for him and then he comes you know he he comes back so yeah. uh, well and that's and that's really i think what you know what eventually starts to set the tone of this really like good versus evil, you know, like Jason is this evil, you know, I mean, part nine, like Jason goes to hell. Like he is, he's, you know, basically a demon from, from hell. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like that kind of plants that seed. Oh, part nine. Oh, part Jason nine. Oh my hell. gosh. I can't wait to like <laughs> make the shortest podcast ever. When we oh, talk about that one. Yeah. That one's a uh, tough one to get through, dude. I got rid of it from my DVD collection. Yeah. I actually got, I kicked, you know, it's rare that I eject a movie from my collection, but that one, I was like, I actively do not want to watch this ever again. <laughs> You're like, I'd rather just sit in a room silently staring at a wall than watch this again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that might be like a 20 minute episode, but yeah. <laughs> uh, we could just right, do a, then, we could do a combo that and, and, Jason X. Jason X, I love. Well, okay, much. then never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I have X so much fun live. with Jason X. I think yeah, that for is sure. Such a good time. But yeah, maybe, maybe we do that. Um, the gore in this one, really, for all the creative kills he does, gone are the days of part four and Tom Savini's special effects that we, you know, we actually don't see a lot of the kills. Like you know, we see in more of a wide shot, somebody getting stabbed. There's a couple, the, the heart ripping out. That's one that we see full on. But a lot of the others, it's just simple stabbings that you see yeah. in a wide shot. You don't see really like a close up like we did in, 
you know, in a final chapter specifically is so gory, you know, there's the Crispin Glover death and oh, yeah. uh, the death of uh, the, the guy in the morgue in the beginning of the movie. And then Jason himself at the end, uh, there's, you know, so much gore in that. And here it's really very little like in, in the moment of impact too. Sometimes we cut away and then we come oh, yeah. back and it's, uh, you know, here we get the one counselor who's, who's gets her head twisted off. Okay. That we see, but uh, you know, you, they got to have a few in there, but like you mentioned, the MPAA is all over these movies at this point and really trying to make an example of the Friday the 13th films specifically that like yeah. you, you started this guys and now you're going to pay for it because, Oh yeah. Not, I mean, they had pushed the limits. They kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And in five, they really, really pushed like the gore and, and the sex like to, too far and then they got slapped for it they had to cut a bunch of stuff out yep and then in this one you know they they went completely the opposite direction but i think i read that they they actually filmed different versions of the of the kills in this yeah so that they could have it and like interchange it later on if they had like kind of the ability to do so there's like three different versions of each kill where it's like the super grotesque over the top, like balls to the wall, bananas version, the kind of R rated minimal version. And then the gore free MPAA pleasing version, which is what ultimately got yeah. released. Yeah. Yeah. And smart to do it that way. You know, when you, when you're doing a movie like this, you want to protect yourself. And the last thing you want to do is have to do reshoots which that we will get to, but uh, mm -hmm. you don't you don't plan for that. You want to get it the first time, so right. Um, yeah, part seven too. When we cover that film next year, mm -hmm. we'll uh, the, that's really one. It's directed by a special effects, uh, uh, you know, special effects person, and that one in particular, like, had and shot a lot of really again, creative and gory death sequences that they were, that had to be cut. And that movie was, was butchered, but well, yeah. uh, pun intended, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, I wish they'd release these with the, with the alternate footage I know, somewhere yeah. so that we could yep. see what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, they should, they could do director's cuts of all these movies. I mean, they have it. I mean, the whole reason they recorded it is so that they would have it. Yeah. So it, it exists somewhere. You would hope, but I'm sure it all has to do with the legal problem. I'm sure yeah. part of it is legal. Everything's tied up. We'll, we'll come to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so we get less gore in this one. We do get the, uh, the one uh, camp counselor. And of course I forgot her name who is somehow just, we don't even see how she's destroyed inside the, the cabin. Oh, just, sissy. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, when we come, we we open the door and we see just blood everywhere. They're like, yeah. what I, did he possibly do to her? Yeah. yeah, I think that's my favorite kill because we don't know, but it's like so grotesque <laughs> when they when they poke her head in when yeah. they poke their head in later. Yeah. Oh God. I uh, I think I like I like uh, Sheriff Garris's death, where being bent backwards. You know, he's he's sitting on top of Jason, bashing his head in with a rock, and then Jason just grabs him and folds him backwards. Like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, um, good times. I like 
I like the idea that he he swung the machete and killed three paintballers at the same time and <laughs> uh, just beheaded them. But then also like the uh, the the face through the the RV wall where yes. it's impractically like an outline of her face. It's like like it's a Donald Duck cart- or a, da- a Daffy Duck cartoon. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, like Wiley Coyote action going on. You're yeah, just like what happened here? Like, very I, I, very I was, Warner Brothers esque. Yeah, those are probably my favorites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and while we're talking about it, the the kill count in this movie, uh, Tom McLaughlin really wanted it to be like his goal was thirteen kills. He wanted to play on that number, and that was he was very set on it. However, when the movie they finished the movie and and it they're screening it, it just Frank Mancuso feels like we didn't quite hit enough of the death count and the the kills that that the fans are used to so he does make them go back and do reshoots and they add in the sequence with where the uh the cemetery caretaker is killed and right mm-hmm. be, you know right around that the two other roger rose and and the the girl that he's with uh getting skewered on the motorcycle they went back and added those in and and it feels like these are characters out of nowhere yeah so yeah. you know here we're just tossing this in and and the caretaker was supposed to live and come back in the end sequence which we'll get to in in a few minutes uh which would have taken the franchise in a different direction but um yeah the the end of the film i i think it was a pretty solid ending it was a big you know a big production deal that they're you know they go out on the lake the lake's on fire jason's you know there's he's tommy's trying to drown jason with wrapping him in chains and a cinder block that'll drag him back to the bottom of crystal lake which is poetic it's poetic <laughs> it's going back to where he came from uh yeah and they, although tommy tommy rolling that rock he's like he's like you know yelling to to uh what is megan like yeah. to go back with the kids and he's got this huge boulder that is not even like on the on the the dock yet and he's like struggling to get it over there i'm like dude by the time you get that rock where you need that rock to be and you get that chain around there it's gonna be tomorrow morning man (laughs) step it up (laughs) but you get a lot of production value out of that you know like like when i was a kid and saw the back of the box with the fire and um you know it's a legit climax yeah sure like it's a legit like action type climax yeah yeah i think it's well done they ended up shooting uh they shot a lot of it in so the film was shot in covington georgia they shot some of it there they shot some more tighter work at a i think a a pool at ucla and then was it i thought it was i thought it was the director's parents well then then they did the the close-ups were they they wanted more out of the close-ups okay so they shot that part of it in Tom McLaughlin's parents' pool. And of course, it's the shot where, you know, the the propeller Pellers, is going yeah. and, and rips up Jason and all the gunk and everything comes up. Totally clogged his parents' pool, but his dad <laughs> loved it just because they were doing a movie in his backyard. <laughs> and it's his son. You yeah. know, like, what are you yeah. going to do? It's all right, son. I love you still. Uh, so that was cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, production-wise, this was like the one Friday the 13th movie with like, no behind the scenes drama, you know, other than I guess replacing Jason early in the movie. 
everybody got along. You know, they they're you know they're on location together. They're they have a good leader this time with Tom McLaughlin, and uh, a lot of the cast really respected him. And I think some of them continued to work with him over the years. But uh, yeah, it was kind of I think a breath of fresh air that they actually had a decent time making this movie. I mean, when you're working nights, nights are hard. I mean, mm-hmm. it is really hard to shift your schedule, especially for the amount of nights that had to be done on, on these kinds of movies that, you know, there's not a lot of the movie that takes place during the day. And once you're done with that, it's like you're working all night, every night for a while. And I think they shot six days. So Monday to Saturday, mm-hmm. that's, you know, it's pretty brutal. It just does a lot to you sort of mentally and physically uh, to, to keep up with that kind of schedule. Um, we've got Harry Manfredini is back again doing the score as he would with every Friday the 13th movie. Uh, you know, great cues uh, and, and pieces of score throughout the film. But the big, you know, the big move up as far as soundtracks goes is, is having Alice Cooper come in. That he does, I think, three or four songs. Yeah, I think it's three. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, adds a tremendous value to it and name value. And I think at this point, Alice Cooper had sort of, you know, wasn't as popular as he was in the seventies. And he was in that lull before, you know, by the time Wayne's world came around, I remember he was like popular again, but I think at this point, this is probably the beginning of that rise back up, uh, of, of, uh, for his career. So, uh, but really cool to, to hear him on the soundtrack. Um, going back to the, the, uh, death count. So I, I, we started talking about it and I sidetracked, but we, uh, we, in this film, we ended up with a total of 18 kills, which brings the series total by the end of this movie to 83. So six movies, 83 kills. Which is a lot. It's a lot for back then, but if 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 you think about the John Wick movies now, which I know is <laughs> David's favorite thing to do, right. I mean that's like first third, first yeah. first third of the movie, John Wick's that number. So that number might not sound shocking to some of our younger listeners, but eighty three within the franchise is quite a quite a number. <laughs> uh, we. So we, we spoke about the uh, the original ending and and originally they were going to have the film ends with we're back at the cemetery back at Jason's grave and Jason's mother's grave and we see the caretaker there who's you know uh, making sure it all looks back in good shape again and we see a shadow appear and the caretaker's talking to this person and we realize we see that it is Elias Voorhees jason's father and we end with sort of a push in on his eyes so that was where tom mclaughlin wanted to take the franchise next was you know jason's back in crystal lake he's stuck there you know we'll see if he would appear again but now you've got the father and that is an interesting question of he's never mentioned so who is jason's father where did he go why is he not around is he just like a deadbeat dad or something we don't know but, or is he something more than that? Wow, that's a twist. Deep cuts. Yeah, deep huh. cuts by McLaughlin. That would have been interesting, but also 
man, I, where would, dude, that would have, that could have spun the whole franchise off in a completely yeah, different yeah. direction. Good or bad. It would have been interesting. Why did they pull back from that? Uh, I think, you know, I don't know why they, they, they never, didn't really say, I think they just weren't really happy with that. That wasn't, a, they wanted Jason, you know, they wanted, they wanted Jason as the lead of the series. It's his series. Mm-hmm. He's going to come back. They'll figure it out on the next movie, how to get him out of that lake, which they do in a very creative way. But, uh, you know, introducing another member of the family, like just not a direction they wanted to go. It's like, yeah. we already have, we've got Leatherface, we've got Freddie, we've got Michael Myers, keep Jason alive, you know, and maybe they noticed that the problems Halloween had without Michael Myers, that they're not going to do the same mistake. Yeah. I mean, I guess just because you introduce him though, it doesn't mean that Jason can't come back. Right. Like, I mean, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, but to introduce him right at that moment, certainly leaves a lot of questions that I doubt there would have been answered. Yeah. Right? I think with the so, amount of unhappiness from the fans yeah. from five of not getting, you know, Jason in that movie, it's like, really, you're, you're really going to set that up for part seven to have that same problem. Mm-hmm. But so they didn't even film that. That was just, yeah. it was written. It was storyboarded. You could see that sequence on, on the DVDs and Blu-rays, but um, yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, all this, all this discussion, I feel like it's, it's time for something we haven't done in quite a bit and that's box office glory. Whoo. All right. So the, uh, Paramount and Frank Mancuso, like everybody's expecting a big, big numbers from this one that it's, you know, we got the series back on track. We've got a good director. We've gotten you know, after the, the reshoots, we've got good feedback. We feel like this is movies in the right place. So of course it's going to be a hit, right? You think well, so. it, they, they made this film with a $3 million budget. It opened August 1st, 1986 at number two. Mm. And it opened against Howard, the duck, nothing in common and flight of the navigator. None of those films was what stopped it. Uh, they were fighting a little movie called Aliens that had opened two weeks prior and was still sitting at number one for quite a while. So right, but how much did they make opening weekend? Six six point seven. So they doubled what they spent on it and totally. then some. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good start, even if they're not number one. It's a good start. It only ends up with nineteen point seven uh, domestic. So of course, yes, it made its money back, but was didn't not hit the, the hit. twenty. No. It was not the the hit that they wanted it to be. It was actually the lowest grossing of the films to that point. So, you know, trouble. The, the, the franchise is still in trouble. They're not, you know, they tried. They, they, you know, he gave, Mancuso gave McLaughlin a lot of creative freedom on this one. And it didn't end up working to the, to the point where they wanted, they thought it would. Um, you know, I think it works in general, but financially speaking it just didn't i think that was when they realized how badly they had screwed up with part five was that it you know the impact lasted that long definitely and i guess you know hindsight and all but i mean that's still like they made a good amount of money on this on this movie right like i mean they spent three they made 19 and change 
Like that's yeah. good business. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and of course it's enough to keep the franchise going and, and, right. you know, fund more of them, but, um, but that downwards, but yeah, the downward slide that starts with five is going to continue all the way through, honestly. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Until I, mean, I think it, Freddie versus Jason. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, this one, it reminds me of of the Han Solo movie. This is like the Solo of the of the Friday franchise that, you know, Solo felt the after effects of The Last Jedi and how, you know, volatile the fans reacted to that film and, and you know, deny it as much as you want. But I think it's pretty clear that fans did Star Wars fans did not flock to the Han Solo film like they would have because they were so turned off by the last Jedi. Many of them, of course, there's a lot of people like David Munchak who love the last Jedi and think it's a brilliant film. Right. <laughs> really good. <laughs> Solo is um, pretty good. I like Solo. Solo. I love Solo. Solo is great. Yeah. Yeah. Yep but didn't hit the numbers that that they wanted it to. So, no. Um, So Jason lives, uh, ends up number 45 of 1986, right between FX and house. 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 Man. Yeah. Oh man. A William cat classic. Dude, that movie is something special i have not seen that i haven't seen a house in a really long i haven't seen effects I, in a really long time either i yeah, i haven't seen effects in a really long time i watched house probably within the last 18 months mm. it is batshit crazy it's great yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know so maybe it wasn't the hit that they wanted it to be in the theater but you know, as soon as by 1987, it's hit home video and VHS and all of the Friday films and like many horror films found a huge shelf life uh, on VHS and through home video that, you know, that's really where the audience got to see these movies over and over and over and and was a huge hit there. So, you know, it, it, it finds its legs down the road and eventually on DVD as well. So <clears throat> so what do you think in general, like now having looked at the whole thing, does does the the meta nature of the film work for you guys? Do the horror, you know, does does the actual like horror side of the movie work anymore? Or does it come off more cheesy than anything? What do you guys think? Uh it's not a, it's not really scary, right? Or you know, there's not a lot of jump scares that even work, right? Uh, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a little more cheesy than anything versus like true horror. I don't know. Yeah. I, I never remember being scared of these movies. I mean, there's a couple of moments in the first movie that I, that I found scary, you know, well, not like scary, scary, but just like, you should have like a reaction to them other than like, kind of like, well, scary or not scary, but an edge, right? Like there's kind of an edge yeah. to the, the darkness and kind of the brutality of, some of the gore and the kills up to this point, and that's lost here. Yeah. But, but I think to jump in, like the creativity of some of the kills, and like I mean, just as kind of a franchise entry, like I, you know, like you said, John, it's one of your it's one of your tops. You know, I think it's actually, even though it's not 
of the grittier uh, movies, you know, it's uh, still a pretty palatable, like film watching experience more so than even a lot of the darker, more traditional, you know, gore fest entries. Yeah. You know, so I enjoyed the meta part of it. I mean, I speaking to it early, yeah. early on in, in the podcast and, you know, like I thought it was pretty, I thought it was a lot of fun. More fun than I remember it being. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's clever, you know, as we mentioned that, that I, I respect the attempt to do so many things that are different here. Um, I never found, I never found these movies or Nightmare on Elm Street scary like that's not what they were they were always entertaining to me and i you know of, of course wanted to see like how creative these kills were going to get as it goes along but i never found i i found the first friday the 13th scary i found the first nightmare on elm street scary i found many parts of halloween and michael myers scary that's a more to me, that's a more frightening character than these two. These are just, yeah. you know, uh, Jason's really just a brute, you know, yeah. who, mm. an unstoppable sort of force, but not frightening like Michael Myers is. That that yeah. that just expressionless face. Yeah, I said right. scary, but I think I think I was more closely going toward the like the edge that that right. uh, yeah you brought up, Brent. So like you know like that like, yeah you're not it's not like. Yeah. So I, I was sort of, I, I was, I guess I was just trying to orbit around the fact that it's like, it's slightly different and doesn't really hold up with like what the other films had accomplished that thus far. Um, for me anyway. Yeah. No. Well, it's like, you know, do, did anybody are from our generation find Frankenstein and Dracula and the Wolfman scary? Not really. Right. You know, right. so today's era, like what do they think of, mm -hmm. Freddie and Jason, especially, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think they have a hard time. I think they would connect to the newer, you know, the 2009 film, because that's done obviously in today's kind of style, mm -hmm. but these older ones, I don't know, you know, maybe they would find this one kind of fun to watch. So uh, we'll have to, we'll have to yeah. get a, a pool of, of uh, kids together and make them watch this movie. I'll go wake my son up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, um, he's he's not. He's he will not be a horror fan. I can tell. Yeah, one of my daughter though, she's ready to go. All right, uh, nice. There you she's go. She's like on board, but you got, yeah. got to find the right way to kind of dip your toe in with that. So yeah. So the Tommy Jarvis storyline. This is the end of the Tommy Jarvis character. Tommy survives three films with uh, against well two really against Jason, but, uh, and he gets, I guess, sort of a happy ending that he, as far as he knows, Jason is back in Crystal Lake and contained and never to be heard from again. And he goes off and we assume him and Megan Garris are going to live a happy life together. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, I always held out hope that Tommy was going to come back to the series and maybe, Maybe when the lawsuit is uh, finished with Victor Miller, 
that uh, maybe we'll see that character again. Corey Feldman has definitely expressed interest in coming back to the franchise. You don't know. Don't say. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's so busy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so I don't know. I guess it, it doesn't feel quite satisfying that, that we really got that conclusion for the, for that character, you know? Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Maybe something else will happen. I mean, I joke, but if Corey Feldman came back, to be in a Friday movie, I would be there in a yeah. Yeah. millisecond. That, that would be huge. If they actually can reboot or whatever, resume the franchise and they they have him, that would be that's all people would talk about. Like Corey Feldman's back. Like what? And yeah, it would be a rejuvenation for him and the franchise, regardless. I think you I get agree. Ryan Johnson to direct though. It's, I think you, <laughs> I think that's what we're yeah, all that's the to. that's that's the approach. It doesn't work <laughs> if Ryan Johnson's not attached, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, I think you could you could totally do and have like good, um, you know, psychological character work for the Tommy character that, you know, after all this time and that he's put all this away that Jason's back and, you know, it's all bringing back all this PTSD for him. So and maybe through that, uh, his ninja skills will return that are mysteriously missing in part six. So, yeah. Uh, Jason had ninja skills, though. I mean, he was definitely getting his like American Ninja on with his dart throwing, and yeah, that's true. Things like that. Yeah. So the dart throwing specifically is an element that is in the Friday the Thirteenth uh, video game. Yeah, it is. Where you know that's like he he that's like his weapon that he always has is darts. He just got darts. So and that's specifically from this movie. Yeah, and inexplicably. Uh, because yeah. it's in this one movie. <laughs> yeah. And and the sets in this film are duplicated in the game. So you can find the same cabins and and all of that and vehicles. And I think I think in the game you actually find Pam's pickup truck from part five. So it sort of indicates that that character uh, lived. But mm. yeah, uh, I love the Friday the 13th video game. I think that is, uh, if you're a fan of the series, it's a lot of fun. It's very loyal. Uh, they put a lot of work into making it, you know, really a game for the hardcore fans. Yeah, that they could it's love. fun. Yeah, you can find it for a pretty reasonable price on your online shopping sites. I'm, I'm sure you can. Uh, one other question I have about this movie, and it circles back to our previous episode and a person that is near and dear to all of our hearts, and that's Kurt Russell. Could Kurt Russell have been in Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives? What do you think? He could have played the sheriff. Of course. They had the same. The hair would have been right (laughs) for the time. Sheriff Garris. So this is, yeah, this is Big Trouble in Little China, Kurt, though. Yeah, the hair. He could have played court. Could have done court. Could have done court. But the sheriff seemed to have a better part. I don't know, court. Right? Yeah. Or, or he could have played, uh, you know, the deputy, Yabang. 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 I mean, picture Kurt delivering that line. Would he have been too young to be Megan's dad? Maybe. I think, yeah, probably too young for that. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But you could have, you could have, you could have aged him up a little with some with the right wardrobe and hair. But you know, uh, yeah. I mean, it could have been Tommy Jarvis, but <laughs> that'd hey, be amazing. That would, yeah. I it would. I Kurt Russell would be welcome in any part in this movie. I'd be fine. <laughs> it's true. He could have played Megan, 
But that would have made the car chase scene a lot more awkward. A lot, a lot. Yeah. Very awkward. Very yeah. awkward. Um, well, you know, guys, I I just want to say super happy to be back in the recording studio with you guys. It's been yes. too long. We've uh, we've all been busy. We've had stuff going on, but we are going to try and uh, come back and and uh, record as, as often as we can. So uh, we don't have a set schedule, but the episodes will drop when they drop. So keep stay, you know, stay tuned, everybody. But uh, next episode is a big one. It's uh, it's I'm not we're not going to spoil it, but we're going to we are going to stay in the year 1986. So we'll uh, you can use your imagination. And I'm sure you can maybe take a guess at what we're going to cover next. But uh, it's a big one. We're, we're excited about it and we've been looking forward to it. I think it's been on the list for like three years. Uh, finally going to yeah. do it. So, uh, time. Yeah, guys, great to see you. Great to, to be back doing the show. And uh, yeah. if you want to check us out, check us out on social media. We're Reconsideration Podcast on Twitter, Instagram meta whatever it's called now uh or you can catch our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts or at reconsideration.com quick shout out and thank you to ek wimmer for the theme music and curtis moore for the poster the amazing J- uh, friday the 13th posters that that curtis just injects our own life into and uh we always love those so any other concluding thoughts guys for friday the 13th part six jason lives Nope. Good times. Glad to be back. Very glad Good to be back. Yes. Absolutely. I think you're going to go back. Both of you guys are going to go back and watch part seven, the new new blood uh, I, right now. I love part seven. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to remember why, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a special it. one for sure. But uh, it's like Firestarter meets Voorhees. Yeah, Let's go. Cherry. Yeah. When's yeah. The next, when's the next 13th? Not till 2023. So we'll we'll take a pause on Friday the 13th till next year, but uh, we will certainly cover it then. And uh, feel free to get ahead of it though, David. Just go ahead and watch right. part yeah. seven. Just yeah, watch that, it. Just, just pop means it. I'd have to watch it twice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you'd be lucky. I watch it now. I'd have to watch it again <laughs> for, the, for the episode. Have you never seen it? Which one's the seven? What happens? Is that oh, one? I not, no, no. It's not the one where... Can't spoil it here. The do- nope. I, I, I've said it on every episode. The one where the doctor eats the heart. Uh, nope. That's Jason possessed. Goes to Hell. That's eight. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's nine. nine. That's, that's nine. nine. Yeah. yeah. No, so, Jason no. has to go to Manhattan first. Yeah. That's right. Okay, got it. Yeah, so no, I haven't seen it. J- Jason's got to fight Carrie, then he's got to go to Manhattan, and then he's going to go to Hell. So, and then yeah. outer space. And yeah. then outer space. Yeah. That's fun. Just like right. the Muppets. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, (laughs) on that note, uh, thank you guys for joining us. We're looking forward to the next episode. Stay tuned, and we will see you on the next episode of Reconsinimation. Take care. Bye now. Hooray. Ya-bang. 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 Bang.